Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Retic Lounge. I'm Lucas Bagner, your co-host, joined by Nathan Katz, your other co-host. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you guys can, please go ahead and like or comment down below. Subscribe. Uh, you can listen to us uh, on Spotify and all other major podcast platforms. If you want to hang out with us, watch our video content, you can catch our video uploaded every Friday to All right, as well as all the Patreon stuff, we want to remind you about USARC. That's the United States Association of Reptile Keepers. Make sure to become a member. Uh, their member numbers matter more than ever right now. Uh, and the easiest way, honestly, to show those member numbers is to subscribe to their YouTube. Uh, donate if you're already a member and subscribe to their newsletter. Absolutely. Can't speak the importance of subscribing to that YouTube. If we have large numbers on a social media presence, that's just another way to show that we are a large body and have a voice. Um, so Nathan, I'm excited for today's episode. We are going to be talking about is a pet retic right for you guys. For those of you interested in keeping a retic for the first time, or for those of you that had an impulse buy and you're like, I have a retic you still have time to decide if that retic is right for you. We're going to cover the basics of, you know, what's a reticulated python and things like what makes them different than keeping other um, common pet snakes. We're going to go over the pros, the cons, and just have a great discussion on things that you guys need to know and be aware about in order to uh, keep these awesome animals and to ultimately make the decision if they're right for you. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Please like, subscribe, and comment. Right off the bat, I mean, just surface level of what this episode is, is keeping a reticulated python in any form right for, you know, the general public, 99% of people? What would you say just surface level to that question? Uh, no. Absolutely not. No. I mean, that's just the cold, hard truth. Would, would I love 99% of the population be able to keep a reticulated python? Absolutely. But yeah, I, I have yeah, to agree with that as well. 100%. I mean, they are amazing animals. 100% worth keeping. Um, but they are not a easy species to keep in comparison to, you know, other common pet snakes. The time I was... Uh, getting back into snakes, my buddy gave me a couple ball pythons, and he had just got a Burmese python, and we had been growing that thing up and hanging out with each other, and I got to, you know, see that thing from a hatchling to about 10 foot long, 8 foot long, somewhere around there in a year, and he in always talked, yeah, I mean, this thing <laughs> grew quick, but he always talked about, oh, I, I've, I've always wanted to own retics, but, you know, he kind of told me uh, 
what you'd hear from the old school guys, you know, retics only going to pee and bite. And that's all, all they do. So, uh, you know, my first impression of retics was that they're the giant snakes and they're the crazy giant snakes. So, um, a retic to me when I first learned about them <laughs> was the big scary monster of the snake world. So naturally um, you're like, oh, I'd love one. <laughs> yeah, but now to me, I mean, um, a little bit more education, obviously. Retic to me is, you know, I think the largest and arguably the most beautiful of any python or snake species, hands down. Uh, their patterns unmatched, the colors from localities to different morphs unmatched. So, yeah, a, a retic is the most beautiful snake in the world to me. Hundred, hundred percent. I, I, I agree. Now, to our listeners, we're biased. Yeah, <laughs> we, we yeah, keep absolutely. we breed retics. Yeah. So. We're going to say that they are the most beautiful python species out there, um, but I would say to anybody who keeps pythons, I still think that that's an argument that can be made. Oh, absolutely. The morph colors, the localities, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, that's what drew me to them. I mean, I, like, I saw an albino retic and was, like, beautiful, and then I saw a purple albino, and I was like, wait, what? An albino can have purple? And then I started seeing orange glows and and mochinos and all these different morphs, and I was like, "Wait, these are all T positive, T negative." I'll buy. like it's it's crazy, just all the colors that they come in. Um, but yeah, I mean, back to what you were saying, they are known for being the longest species of snake in the world. Some people even argue that they are the largest species that they can weigh more than anacondas. But at the end of the day, they're known for being very large snakes. Um, so. One thing that you probably should know before getting them is that if you are going to buy a retic, you are buying a large constrictor. Now, what's cool about retics as well, which makes them very, very marketable and enjoyable for many people, is they come in small, medium, and large size localities, superdwarfs, dwarfs, and mainlands, right? Absolutely. And I mean, uh, to us, small is a, a relative term. Absolutely. Um even the smallest of locality retics, uh, you know, my smallest female who is absolutely tiny is still a giant snake to some. So, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you hit that on the head because I, I was hoping you did. If not, I was going to. When we talk about small locality retics, those for those of you that that don't know the different islands, and for those of you that do know, you're gonna be familiar with these localities. But we're talking about the things like Kalatoa, Madu, Karampa. Um, even those small island localities that were termed superdwarfs, um, are still animals that can get eight feet, nine feet in some cases in these small localities, even 10 foot. Um, and just need to be aware that that's still a possibility. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they're small because when you talk about a eight, nine foot retic, that's lean, you can still hold that thing bundled up in one hand, right? Yeah. At times, maybe just hunched over your shoulder a little bit because they're lean. Um, but when we say, you. yeah, exactly. But we're not talking about small, like you're not getting a corn snake retic. 
ever. <laughs> I mean, you can definitely get really, really close to to colubrid size, uh, like bull snakes. Retics. Yeah. No. Absolutely. My my uh, snake with the most super dwarf blood in it, the most Kalatoa influence. You know, she easily at four years old can fit in both hands, but yeah. yep. Someone who's not ready for her attitude, that's that's a giant scary snake. She can you know, if if you're not uh ready to deal with her food response or uh you know, don't know how to hook handle, something like that, you're you're in for a, a treat with her. She might be small, but you know. No, a hundred percent. And I actually let, let's caveat that into talking about what makes them different than other common pet snakes because you mentioned messing with their attitude when she's not having a good day, a food response type of ordeal. Um, and so, yeah, they can be kept to a larger size colubrid. Um, you know, it, it's very reasonable to have a male small locality animal like a cow toa to stay in the six foot range. Yeah. Um, so you know what what what's different about them that people still need to make sure that they do their homework before jumping in and buying a retic so i i think just jumping back to kind of the uh, false narrative i was given about retics when i first got into it yeah they may not be the wild caught uh bite all over you piss all over you crap all over you retics that used to be in the trade when you know they were coming straight out of Indonesia but they still have a food response that's unmatched to most other snake species especially when you're talking the the big few when you're talking about corn snakes ball pythons you know any of the you know basic starter snakes that most people get into it, it's a lot different than something like that because you're having a snake that when you open that cage, it's actively wanting to know why that cage is being opened. That Yeah, that, that is a, a great way to, to put them. I mean, they're always watching us, learning from us. And yeah, anytime you open that enclosure, you get a head turned towards you. And it's going to be up to you to, to read your snake's body language and know what that head turn means. Um, even constrictors like Burmese pythons and anacondas and things, I see more oftentimes with other large constrictors that hooks aren't used nearly as much with retics as they are even with other large constrictors in a sense of like a retic is almost a necessity to go in with a hook, turn off that feed response. Where I, I see a lot of videos now and it, it's, you know, I haven't, as an adult, I have not kept any large constrictors other than retics. So correct me if I'm wrong, berm keepers and and. Um, you know, larger boa keepers, anaconda keepers, but it seems like a lot of people can open that glass door and reach in and grab this big old snake, and the snake is fairly easily able to respond in a in a positive manner. That is absolutely true, but on the flip side of that, I am the biggest baby when it comes to getting bit, and I avoid it at all costs. So even back when I just had my ball pythons and you know got my first boa started thinking about retakes, that kind of thing. I was using the hook with them because, you know, I'd rather introduce myself without having to put myself on the line 
and then Absolutely. know I'm going to have a, a decent handling experience with my animals. I mean, really the hook in a lot of ways is just a confidence builder for you and your animal. I mean, it absolutely, when it comes feeding time or close to feeding time is a necessary tool to just put some distance between yourself, offer something without a heat signature to the snakes so they know that, you know, uh, their expect expectation of getting feds, not getting met. But, uh, I mean, the confidence I think is really the biggest thing with the hooks. No, I, that I, between I, you I and your snake. <clears throat> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, when I was a kid and I grew up keeping a bunch of ball pythons at different snakes, I literally would go in with a coat hanger. <laughs> like, Hey, this, this isn't food. Okay. I've always been very cautious as well. Um, and I, I my entire life of keeping snakes, going out and catching snakes. A lot of people don't know this about me. I'm going to put it out there. Um, and uh, a lot of people always crack on me for this, but I've only been bit by any of my snakes once. And it was like a couple months ago where I got bit by one of my smaller retics. It was a little defensive nib on the on the elbow. I didn't even feel it until I looked down and saw little blood drops dripping. And I was like, oh. Um, but yeah, like I, I am safety is always first. Um, I know there's a lot of really cool, awesome keepers out there that can, you know, that don't care about being bit. I wish to have your cajones someday. And, you know, most of the time getting bit's not a big deal. You know, I, 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 like I said, I'm a big baby about getting bit, but you know, I've had my experiences where, you know, it's either hatchlings or I'm doing something dumb and I, you know, offered myself up, but anytime it's never been a, a big major deal. Now on the flip side of that, that's not always the case with our, our retakes. I've, you know, even though I haven't experienced it yet, uh, I've seen pictures from mentors of mine. I've seen, or I've heard horror stories from around, uh, you know, the community, but when a male retic gets to breeding season, their teeth can just shred you up and you know oh, yeah. uh, when we're talking about getting into retakes and then eventually getting into breeding that that becomes a, a whole other uh, ball game is managing your your male retakes once they get those urges yeah so long story short when it comes to what makes pet retics different than pet ball pythons or other pet snakes i mean you have to deal with an animal that's more intelligent that reads you just as much as you're reading it and they have bad days and they have really intense feeding responses um and i'm talking about you know you you every retake is different first off let me preface that i have some retakes where where they know it's feeding time and they're on alert and everything and i can i can drop down the door i can slide the glass and they won't ever lunge out they'll just wait and then i put the food in there and boom, they crush it, wrap it, game over. I have other retakes though mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I hate drop down doors for retics because of the drop down doors that I have right now. But man, those things are ramps for some of the snakes that I am trying to feed. You should see me on a feeding day when I have my longest hook possible that I don't even use to get my snakes out. It's just to have control of that drop down door so that I can 
drop that door down and offer the food with very long tongues because I know that snake is flying out ready to eat. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the reality of keeping some retics. Like I said, that's not every retic. So if you decide to get a single pet retic, and you're one of the one percent that only gets one retic, <laughs> then you you might get lucky, have a snake that's chill like that. But for the most part, their feed responses, like Nathan was saying earlier, are more intense than most other constrictors. You know, there's arguments of like scrub pythons being you know, the athletic version of a retake that's already athletic and having the same feed response. Oh, no, but there's some, like, super aggressive eaters. I mean, you look at indigos and some other colubrids that slam their prey against rocks and the sides <laughs> of their enclosures. Trust me, there's, there's I don't need crazy... to constrict you. <laughs> yeah, there's, you there's some crazy responses. But <laughs> as far as what I'm talking about when, I, when I'm talking about food response is they're... They're waiting. They know how their enclosure opens. They and they know like where the food's coming from. So they know that you're the source, and they are going to come straight out at you until they find that food in front of their face. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So make sure that food is in front of their face, not to the right, not to the left. (laughs) (laughs) Don't hold Uh, it. We get some tongs. That kind of thing. If you guys aren't watching and you're just listening, you hear a lot of laughing in our voice, and that's because it truly is a joy to keep these animals, even with their their intense feeding responses. Um, some people might call us crazy. Um, I would agree, but um, yeah, they're 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 great, even to do that. Anything else that that you can cover that is different about keeping retics versus you know we talked about feed response and and. So behavior. Well, we talked about I mean, behavior. Behavior-wise, yeah. So you hit, hit on you hit on one thing, and then I want to add add a, a, another topic to this. But um, you said they have good and bad days, um, and and that's totally true. I have I have snakes that I can deal with ninety nine percent of the time, and then there'll be one day out of the year that if I lay hands on them, they they. <laughs> are running, huffing, bucking, you know, trying to do anything to keep me away. Does that keep me from pulling them out if they have crap in their cage? No, but it just tells me I I need to deal with the situation a little bit different. So you always have to be willing to adapt with the situations that these animals throw you. Uh, I think that's different from, you know, a ball python or a boa constrictor who you, for the most part you can go in, grab, toss in a tub, clean their enclosure, throw back in, usually without any incident. Um and then after that, um I I just want to share why I got so deep into retics. I mean, I was given those two ball pythons to start out and that's, you know, when I first got those two ball pythons, I was like, all right, this is it. Ball pythons is, is what I'm into. Um, and then after owning, owning them for a while, interacting with them for a while, you know, really learning what it is to have a ball python, I got so bored. I, I, they're beautiful. They're really cool No offense, cool ball animals. python keepers. No, no offense at all. I think they are amazing animals, and I think they are probably the best starter snake for anyone to get into and like 
one of the best reptiles to just pique that curiosity, especially for uh, our younger generations. But for sure, um, for me, you know, I'm older. I wanted a, a little bit more out of you know the snake owning experience and you know every time i had the snake out it just kind of sat there and that was cool i could watch a movie with my snake but i knew it wasn't gonna do anything it was just kind of hanging out now when i take any of my retics out it's it's a constant dance so i mean they're never they're never on not on the move they're always going somewhere exploring somewhere the only time that i've seen that change is when i have one of my females out at an expo for an extended period of time being handed over to multiple people then they'll chill out for a little bit you know i've they're had like yeah i'm done with this running thing yeah yeah but for the most part they're moving around they're wanting to see what's around them, what's outside their cage, what's going on. So uh, that's what initially got me into them, uh, just based off of my experience owning other species. Yeah, I I agree. I think if you're the type of person where you're like, you're contemplating on getting a snake, or maybe you have a snake and you're like, should I get a retake? If you're the kind of person that wants to sit down on your sofa with a relaxed snake on your lap while you watch Netflix. Retake's not for you. Retake is probably not for you. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I see videos that surface on the internet and all these different things, uh, you know, they're they're where, you know, they'll they'll show a uh, glimpse. You could think, I mean, the best example is probably Sonny and Cher reticulated pythons of... uh, Yeah, Ed. Yeah, Ed uh, Tos- or Taka, I can't think of his last name right sorry now. Sorry if we butched that. Yep, sorry, Ed. But, um, you know, he has tons of videos of his animals out, and that's because they're they're so used to that enrichment. They're so used to, you know, being able to hang out and be a part of the family that you get those moments where the snake's chilling on the back of the couch while his daughter's sitting below, and you get one of those big old yawns, so... I mean, right. it definitely can be that experience, but, you know. Off the bat, it won't be. And no. it'll take a very long time to get to that point. Ed's done a lot of good work with the snakes. Well, in my household, you know, I can't do that. If we let the snakes and cats uh, intermingle, I don't think that would be a great day in this household. So, And even if it didn't go badly ever, it's just still not a good idea. No, no. You uh, never know. Yeah. That, that's funny you say that, right? We've seen over the years. <laughs> everybody is always like, everybody. <laughs> that's another thing. If you keep a reticulated python, or you plan to, and then you do, you're gonna get crazy questions when you start getting when you when your snake starts getting six to eight feet, and and people start to ask you those crazy questions like, "Aren't you scared that that snake's gonna eat you?" Nathan, you cut hair, and and you also have have like with the studio. If I'm not I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. With your studio, you you've gone out and you've taken your snakes out there, um, and you've done events in your your you know where you live, where you've had your snakes out. Do you get questions that are like that? So it, it gets even worse because I, uh, for the last five or six years, uh, give or take, I've been working at a uh, 
hair school. So I, I'm a barber instructor on their uh, barber side of things. And man, I mean, between me working in the barber shop and then the school, the biggest thing I get asked um, is probably, have you heard the story about the woman who slept with her snake? And as soon as those words come out of anyone's mouth, my eyes roll back into my head. I let them tell their story. And then I have the hardest time not just like correcting the story and telling them it's an old wives tale, that whole thing. That's I tell probably... them that it's my aunt. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have more fun with it, man. Uh, yeah. That's probably the biggest thing. I... I think the the most some of the other absurd questions that I get are uh do they sleep with you or do they roam the house? I think you know just every <laughs> reptile is cold blooded. It's not it's not hanging out in my temperature controlled house. It wouldn't survive. Um at least not very well. Uh <laughs> and then Let's see. Number three of the most absurd questions is probably. Oh man, I had it. Just give me a second here. So, let's see. We hit on the the lady sleeping in her bed. Um, oh, are you? Do you ever let the cats and the the snakes mix? Or I used to have a toy poodle. Does the toy poodle and the snake get along? No, they don't interact. No. I can't say no or yes for a fact, but they don't interact. No, they don't get along because we don't give them the opportunity. People, let me tell you about my best friend. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I Pour one out for my, big. <laughs> Man, RIP. Let me, let me, I, my favorite question. Um, I had a daughter a year and a half ago. And it, it's usually never di directly asked to me. But again, if you're going to keep retics and you have a spouse or a significant other and mm -hmm. like my wife at first did like not want me to keep any snakes. I, you know, convinced her back in 2018 to let me get one retic and now we have almost 20. So what she does is now she likes them. Now she thinks they're cool. So especially when the babies hatch, she like likes to hold them. She puts them on her leg and she like puts them on her Instagram story, right? And she's like, that thing is huge. We're talking about a pure Kalatoa, super dwarf, reticulated python that's a baby, just hatched out. Oh, that thing is huge. And she's like, oh, oh this yeah. is the baby, right? And they're like, oh, my gosh, are you scared? They asked my wife this, and my wife my wife has learned. She does great. She she listens to me nonstop and hates me for it. But um, people will ask her, like, aren't you scared that the snake's going to get out of its cage and eat your baby? That's my favorite question, um, and and one that that literally, sadly, in the last like year and a half, I've probably have addressed like over a dozen times. That's like <laughs> probably on average once a month. Now, now being realistic about this question, what mm -hmm. what is your plan on introducing your child to the snakes over time? Yeah, that, that's, man, that's a good question. So um, I posted a, a story on my Instagram a, a few days back of, I had my, so what I do on Sundays, Sundays is daddy date. 
My wife's working, it's me and the baby. And I normally clean on Sundays. If she has a short nap, what I do is when she wakes up from her nap, it's snack or lunchtime, I'll put her meal on her high chair on the tray and I take her into the garage where all the snakes are. And I have her in the back and she watches and I take them out. And the other day I was recording a video of my ocelot in my hand and you can hear her in the background. Wow. Like she, <laughs> she loves them every day when I'm home or when my wife's home or even when my mother-in-law is watching. It's great. She goes to the garage and she taps on it and then she reaches up and she's like, come on, let's go see the snakes. So I've already started taking her in. She loves to see them. She's pointing at them and she does that. So I've already started that. And I started that probably when she was about a year old. And or maybe, now that she- maybe what I'm looking for is what what precautions are you going to take? Oh, for sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, totally. once, once she's able to figure out how doors open, how the locks work, that kind of thing. You know, maybe yeah. maybe not even five, six years old, but, you know, eight, ten when you know, things really start clicking. Yeah. Um, By clicking, I'm going to assume that my eight and 10 year old can listen to basic instructions. If they can't, I got a whole other problem on my (laughs) plate, but, but we're not getting into that. Yeah. I I actually think like at the age of two to three, like I was just over a good friend in the reptile industry's house when I went to the Conroe show. um, And I won't mention her, her name or her kid's name because it's her kid. I don't know if she wants that public, but her kid is two years old walking around the snake room while we're there and he has one of the keys in his hand. And so she was very clear with like, you know, not taking off the lock. And, and so, you know, although eight and 10 years old is the, like, it really even starts way earlier than that. So like getting them to understand basic, no, like they're not allowed to open it without parental supervision. So my rules are going to be like, to answer your question at around six years old, you know, they have friends over and they want to sneak into the garage to see the snakes. They are to yeah. never, ever, ever open a cage on their own. And and personally, I'd probably, um, if I'm not, once it gets to that age, I'll probably have like a lockbox with the keys in there. Okay. Yeah. Just to be safe. And, and again, the reason for the safety, guys, is because you open a retix enclosure and you don't know what the outcome is unless you know that animal and you have a hook in your hand. Well, I mean... I don't want to talk about it, but I mean, it leads you to, uh, I believe it was the, a couple of years ago in Indiana, a woman was going over to a house that had some reticulated pythons and a, a nine foot reticulated python she wasn't familiar with ended up wrapping her and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. I mean, causing, extremely. Causing her to lose her life. So it doesn't matter how old you are, story. honestly. Exactly. So for, for like another thing, if you want to own a pet retic and it gets to the size and the strength, and we're talking about six, seven, eight feet, like really try to avoid that snake being around your neck. Um, there's no reason to other than to look cool, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, uh, if my it's slithering. I loves to take those pictures, but, you know, even, it's, even it's, with our most calm snakes, I, I just... You know, it makes you nervous, right? Yeah. It makes yeah. me nervous. I mean, my snakes will do it and, and, you know, I let them hang out and everything, but their face, I'm always patting their head away from me. Yeah. Right. Always I always have control away. of their first half. So I know I can get it over my yeah. shoulder, whatever I need to do. Yeah. yeah. But, but safety precautions is just, you know, because I would love for my kid to be helping with cleaning and oh, yeah. feeding and Free help. Yeah, exactly. All that good stuff when it starts to happen. And so, man, one of my lights just went out. For those of you that are watching, you're probably like, Psh, amateur. 
Well, I am. Um, so, so yeah, just uh, probably locks for the keys once I get older, just because I don't want my child with an undeveloped frontal lobe in their brain to want to do something cool with their friends over. Um, and then always just teaching them by observation. Um, yeah. Observe me first. And, you know, as a parent, I guess that's just one of those gut decisions when you decide it's the right time to allow your kid to start to use a hook, familiarize themselves with the snakes. Um, I have one, maybe two snakes in my possession right now that are super chill, super easygoing, that are perfect first time type of retics to introduce my daughter when she's younger. Um, so to, we're talking a lot about kids and, you know, is a pet retic going to be ultimately right for you? Whether it's just, you know, that 1% of people who's just owning one or, you know, most of us who end up keeping multiple. But uh, my question for you is just mostly budget wise. So uh, you having a child how many retics do you think, not not in cost of enclosure, not in cost of the animal, but cost in maintaining that animal, feeding it, maintaining it day to day, all the supplies you need, how many retics do you think is equivalent to raising a child? This is just a random question I have in my head because I do the, have, uh, I have no, no, no children. No, super common question. There's actually a, it's the retic to kid ratio. No, I'm joking. So, <laughs> no. And, and, um, I mean, we're talking because we mostly deal with dwarf crosses. So we're dealing with stuff that's not getting huge. Yeah, we're not getting and si medium and small type of retics. Not getting 10 pound rabbits for our animals. No. Um, so, yeah. So, like, okay. So the, let me. I'm going to summarize that question. You want to know what's the equivalence of taking care of a toddler yep. and what's the equivalence to that in taking care of retics in number of retics. Yeah. Okay. If so. you were to guess. I mean, taking care of a toddler when they're awake is a full time job. Um, full time. Always have to keep your eye on them. All that kind of stuff. If I were to, I mean, with so not time, not in energy spent. I'm I'm talking pure pure funds, pure cash coming out of your wallet. Oh 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 okay. Um, funds like the financial portion of it. Yes. Man, diapers, all that kind of stuff, and then yep. you know talk about the food in that aspect, not including yep. caging though. Not including caging or price of the see, animals. That's the thing. I think I think you should include caging and price of the animal because daycare is expensive, man. <laughs> but but if we're excluding that, I would probably say like with feeding a retic and time spent cleaning and supplies and all that stuff, kind of like the equivalence of wipes and all that, um, probably like, I don't know, man, maybe large ballpark of six to ten. <laughs> okay. Um, keeping a baby with diapers, all that gets expensive, but like when you keep 10-foot, 12-foot retakes, 8-foot retakes, and you start to get into the 2-pound pigs, the 3-pound bunnies, and bunnies are expensive, man. Um, Especially it now. Yeah, it adds up. I'm going right, to well, get this light on. Yeah, that I, that's a, a good good answer. So, I mean, if if you care for a toddler or if you think you have the funds to care for a toddler, you may be financially set <laughs> to care 
for up to six re- uh, dwarf cross retakes. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're keeping a toddler and your budget is capped, <laughs> don't get six retakes. But, yeah. Um, so, moving on from that, uh, I mean, just general husbandry. So, we, I mean, we didn't talk about the cost of the snake in that. We didn't ca- talk about the cost of enclosure. What's... What do you think is... By the way, I'm ditching the light for the rest of the episode because I'm getting annoyed. I can't sounds good to me. What do you <laughs> think is the bottom line you need uh, monetarily to invest in getting your first retick? Yeah, so... We're putting a, a, a figure on this, a number. I mean, rough figure, because we're talking about uh, an animal whose species ranges in localities that can get, you know, five to eight foot to, you know, upwards of 18 foot. So, I mean, caging caging cost is obviously going, going to vary. Um, and then animal pricing is yeah. going to vary so almost the opposite way. Let's talk about animal pricing first if you want to get just a mainland retic it's going to be very very cheap to buy a snake you could probably go to any given show find a normal mainland retic and leave that show for buying that snake for 75 to 100 dollars go on a sunday people want to sell those things easy however if it's a mainland retic, you're going to need a six foot enclosure within the first year. So there goes 800 bucks. If you want to provide any type of enrichment for that enclosure, plan to spend another hundred bucks. Um, you're feeding for a retic that size, put away 500 bucks a year. Um, you're going to need cleaning supplies and bedding. Are you keeping it on paper? Paper is going to last you a while and it's cheaper. Is it aesthetically appealing? Is it as good for the snake in terms of enrichment? People will argue no. So if you want to go with a substrate, you know, that for a six-foot enclosure, for a nine-foot snake in a year, that's going to pee a lot and poop a lot. You know, you're going to have to set a couple to a few hundred bucks aside for bedding. Um, mm-hmm. So... At the end of the day, what people don't realize with keeping mainlands, sure, you can buy a snake for a hundred bucks versus buying a small or medium locality animal cross um, for a thousand dollars. No, I mean one of my one of my wild types that I sold this year, I uh, falls into the super dwarf guidelines. I think I sold. You know, you can get in for somewhere around six hundred. Oh yeah, yeah. Bucks. yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm overestimating just a little bit because I'm, I'm the point that I'm trying <laughs> to make here is that you can spend twelve hundred dollars on this snake up front, mm-hmm. and your costs for the first two years of that animal and the upfront cost of buying that snake for twelve hundred dollars versus buying your seventy five dollar mainland normal, and then its growth for the next two years, you're going to be breaking even with both of those, if not spending more money on the mainland. 
So at, at least know, in food costs for sure. I think yeah. the smart person who who gets into a mainland retic uh right away probably should plan on just getting the adult enclosure and making that snake as comfortable as it can be while it grows in that enclosure it's the yeah. absolute cheapest way to do it besides having to just keep upgrading and keep upgrading through the the life cycle of that animal yeah absolutely um so yeah costs are going to um very drastically, but whatever you do, I mean, if, if you, my, my advice is you want a pet retic and you want a small, medium-sized retic, you can get in, in the game for five, six, seven hundred dollars Um, I, I would still have $2,000 ready to go upfront costs because if you're getting your first pet retic, don't settle on getting a rack for that snake, right? You're getting your first animal. Don't get a rack. You sure. You know, breeders keep their snakes. I, mean, I have snakes and racks. Um, I'm not ditching or dissing the the rack game at all. But you're getting your first pet retic. No sense of keeping it in an enclosed rack where you're going to only see it when you pull it out. Um, get a cage. Get an enclosure. Get a good one. Get enrichment. Make that thing a pet, right? Fall in love with what these animals are worth falling in love over and then make the decision if you're going to buy a bunch, possibly breed, and then make the adjustments. But even then, always try to do the best that you can. And so I, I'm going to say if you're going to spend $500 on a retic, have $2,000 ready to go. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's fair. I mean... On the flip side of that, I have seen people in the past who have wanted to get it into it very budget friendly and set up, you know, a little Sterilite tub container. But I just see so many problems with that, uh, especially when you add heat to one of those uh, plastic enclosures. I just, you know, so many things can go wrong. Uh, it's yeah. not very aesthetically pleasing and doesn't make you look very good as a keeper either. Um, yeah. but now four years ago, I did that. My very first retake oh, yeah. I got was a Kaiwadi locality. I got a sterilite tub for it, yeah. got a bunch of plants in there and hides. And I kept my first retake like that until I, I got the money to get, you know, an, a, a PVC enclosure. So it, it, like it's Nathan not a said, bad place to start. It's not, it's, 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 you can budget start with a pet retake, great but i think the the giant caveat there is i mean just just in this industry we always need to be moving forward we always need to be doing better by these animals um you know um our caging requirements they're they're all right but you know we could always give more to our animals you know so it's just something that you you always want to keep conscious of how your animals yeah. are being kept is that really the best environment for them and you know yeah. if you really want to do right by these animals i think lucas is right you need a good couple thousand dollars up front just to be able to treat these animals the way they need to be treated yeah 
And, and I mean, to me, in my honest opinion, that goes for any species of snakes. Like there's the ball python argument that these snakes thrive in these ARS and freedom breeder rack systems. And 40 gallon breeder tubs. Yeah. Right. You can, you can make that argument. But again, if you're getting a pet snake, then get, you know, do, do, do what's best for the animal and what's going to just speak well for the the animal in and of itself that that would be like buying a a you know buying a thousand dollar dog and feeding it the old school twenty dollar for a 60 pound bag of like beneful and you know not taking it outside um and and just giving it you know a a low quality of life um people don't when most people don't do that with their dogs Therefore, I don't think we should do that with our snakes, even if the industry says, well, they do well in tubs. Yeah, sure. I mean, I kept and bred my my first free ticks in, uh, let's see, they're four by one foot tall uh, by two foot deep enclosures. Did they breed? Yeah, they bred. Did they grow up fine? Yeah, they grew up fine. They grew up healthy. Did I feel good about it once they were adult size breeding in an enclosure that's one foot tall? When I know that these snakes, well, that I have learned that these snakes are, you know, semi-iboreal, um, I, I can't in good conscience keep my snakes in that enclosure especially the the big girls like they need more so you know even us as breeders where we have to be somewhat space conscious to you know what mm-hmm. our facility will allow us we still are finding ways to enhance the way we keep our animals so that they are living better lives they're not <clears throat> running in, into any issues like pushing uh you know uh any of the destructive behaviors that can come from such an equi- inquisitive animal that's constantly yeah. needing that stimulation. Yeah. I mean, like I'll, I'll give you an example. Like I just went through my second breeding season, my first year of having a lot of retakes. Um, and right now I have one forty-one quart rack. So 41 quart tubs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a five tier. I have my hatchling racks. Um, and then I have a stack of four foot, five foot, six and seven foot enclosures. Um, my goal for myself after my next successful breeding season is to get rid of those grow up racks. Like I have my, I have that 41 quart rack and then I have a VE six rack. Mm -hmm. That's like my step up from the hatchling rack. And before the 41 quart, my, my goal for myself is to get rid of my 41 quart to get rid of that transition VE6 rack. And I would like to have a wall that has for my holdbacks and younger snakes, a wall of three foot enclosures by 30 inches deep by about like 15 to 18 inches high. And to do stacks like that, to give a small enclosure for those grow up animals until they're ready to transition into their adult cage. Yeah. That, and no. again, that that's something that I'm trying to work to get better on because at the end of the day, it's important for us who've been doing this for a little bit to understand that we can make improvements. We have to. 
Well, and it, it it's hard too because there's not a cookie cutter enclosure for someone who wants to keep super dwarf reticulated pythons or dwarf crosses or mainlands for that matter. You know, being semi-arboreal, a lot of us breeders or keepers now are looking towards perches. We're looking towards shelving to add square footage into our enclosures. Uh, knowing that these snakes hang out on the riverbanks, a lot of the time, I mean, you need to provide a large reservoir of water. I, I notice, you know, five out of, out of six of my, my animals that I keep right now, once a month, they're spending eight to ten hours in that water, submerged, not coming out. So there, there's that's that that's called the Utah syndrome. That that's true. <laughs> uh, that that could no, purely no, I be based off of my my environment. But I I do think I agree, that though. these snakes need some swimming time, some climbing time. You know, yeah, time outside their enclosure, getting to explore different environments, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I my 14-foot Solaire, um, I have a three-gallon water bowl for her, and probably once a month, I'll go in, see that the entire cage is soaking wet, and she's sitting in tight. I mean, this is a 14-foot animal inside of a three-gallon, like she's wanting that that water just to soak. I mean, it's really cool to see. Um, so, yeah, I Back to where we were, two thousand dollars I think is a good startup to make sure that you are just giving your animal a very, very good start to its life. Um Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think back when we, you know, made our our initial caging and then first animal investment. And I wanna say that we put probably I mean, we got a few cages, so that that added to it. But I want to say we spent probably around four grand just getting into it. So that's a a very realistic number that Lucas is putting forth, even if you're getting into a mainland, just because that caging cost is going to get so high so quick. It gets up, and especially uh, you know, you could be a different type. There's there's the person that likes to start minimalistic and work its way as the money comes in and as the snake grows and getting what it needs. And then there's people who just like to go all out from the get-go. I mean, there's people who buy PVC cages and get, you know, an affordable PVC case that just need to have it replaced in two years. There's people that go with like top tier PVC caging or ABS plastic caging. Um, you know, that right off the bat, and that, you know, those cages can cost, you know over a thousand dollars depending on the size and, and well over a thousand dollars. So yeah. So at the end of the day to prepare yourself and is the retic, you know, a, a good pet snake for you is, is the willingness that you're going to set aside those funds and just being financially prepared to house a snake, um, long-term and even that upfront cost. It's not cheap. It, it's, it's, it's not inexpensive, nor should it be with the responsibility of keeping a retic, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And something I think we should get into is just like keeper requirements. Cause mm. I mean, uh, I fell into kind of a unique situation. So I, I got lucky and, and met one of my mentors locally 
uh, Richard Bilbo, who, who breeds uh, dwarf and super dwarf, uh, cross reticulated pythons. And, you know, I got lucky and got into very small bloodlines right off the bat, not knowing that a couple years later I'd have some really serious health problems, uh, all stemming from my back. And, you know, keeping even some of the, the larger dwarf locality species, you know, while not completely out of the picture, isn't the smartest idea for my state of being right now. So I, I think you need to look into what you can appropriately keep on your own. You're not always mm -hmm. going to have a second person there. And, you know, really once you pass that eight, nine foot mark, you kind of want someone else there. Yeah. Given what the situation has for you that day. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to lie. I do handle, I have handled my Slayer 14 foot animal. Yeah. By, by myself. And, you know, I, I know There's someone else. There's nothing wrong who, with that. And and I know someone else, um, you know, that is openly public about it. He said it on some interviews as well, and says it all the time on on Facebook. But Eric Lee says some of his bigger females he holds by himself too, and that that's that goes down to your skill level and understanding and trust with your animal, and just knowing and reading your animals. So, for example, if my wife is home and my Slayer's cage is destroyed. My Slayer, by the way, Sasha, she is a 14-foot pure Slayer, um, and she's a very difficult girl to handle on on my own. Um, she's never once made me feel like I've been in danger, but if she yeah. is having a bad day and I don't have anybody home, um, I wait. My wife gets home from work. I say, hey, you know, I... We mess around. We have like a, a, a we have a, a, what's it called? A safe word. I'm like, if you ever hear me anywhere in the house, yell pineapples. A snake has bit me and it's got me constricted and I need you to run down and help me manage this snake to get off of me. I, I thought pineapples was universal for swinging, Lucas. Not, I've been bit by my snake. We made it spicy okay well um <laughs> <laughs> no but so no, and i, 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 I think will, i think I the will. major the major thing to add to that is I, I you know i i don't think there's anything wrong to handling any of your large constrictors whether they be 12 foot 14 foot 18 foot i don't care as long as you really, really know your animals. I think both you and Eric, who who are fine with saying that, you know, they'll handle these animals on their own. I think it's you'd still both not say the most... if, they're, if they're having an off day or if they're giving you any kind of sketchy attitude. Yeah, skip. You're not going <laughs> to ego pull that snake out of its no, enclosure. No, absolutely not. And I want to emphasize this, that even though I do that at times when she's being a sweetheart, I still understand what the risks are and it's still not the most responsible thing to do. So flat out saying that I'm not saying this so that other people could be like, Oh, well, Lucas does it. So it's okay. No, actually I 100% I go back to what Nathan was saying. Nathan was saying, if you have a large snake and it's eight, nine feet over, have someone present, have someone in the house and use pineapples. 
if someone's in a different room and make sure that you have like my wife who tolerates me keeping my snakes. She thinks they're cool. I think she thinks they're cooler than she presents to me. But anyways, um, I have a plan. With I her. think that's she, a pipe dream in our head. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, I have, I have a plan with her. She knows exactly what to do. If I get bit and wrapped, she's going to grab the Listerine bottle. She's going to put the Listerine in the snake's mouth, or she's going to help grab the tail end to try to unwrap or give me the tail so I can bite the tail, do some crazy wild man stuff to get that snake to let go. So my wife has been briefed on all this. So again, safety measures. So another important thing about keeping retakes you need to be aware of is if the snake gets larger, you need someone present and also make sure that that person that's present is informed of what to or at do. Least have, yeah. At least have a, a game plan. I mean, uh, there's, there's times when I have to clean my nine foot anneries enclosure and, you know, I'd say about 60, 40, she's having a good day versus having a bad day. And a bad day is her bucking the hook and giving me, giving me hell as I'm trying to pull her out. But that's my favorite. 90% of the time, pull her out, throw her in the tub. She, she's all good to go. Um, that's a hundred percent of the time with my coyote. She hates being taken out. <laughs> every time she's having one of those 40% days and I'm pulling her out and no one's home, I have a game plan. I know exactly mm-hmm. what I'm going to do if something goes awry. I have, like you said, the mouthwash ready to go. Um, probably plan A is try to grab that tail and gnaw on it a little bit. And then, you know, uh, I always, always clean with my door closed so that even if that snake bites me and gets away, I know that it's at least enclosed within the room. And then it's not yep. going anywhere. This isn't a ball python biting you and constricting you and hurting your hand. This is a snake that can bite your thigh, wrap your waist, wrap your leg, wrap your shoulder and your torso. Um, so, you know, wh- while we were saying that on the topic of Listerine, let's let's talk about like cleaning. <laughs> And expectations of cleaning and what people are going to be getting into when they have even a retake that's eight foot. Right? Because even a female Kalatoa at seven to ten years old, more than likely going to hit eight feet. And so what what's it what's it like for you? You keep so, on paper just like I do. So I know you don't enjoy the smell of retake piss. No, I I clean. I'm trying to think of this more on a a one snake level more than my collection level, just because I'm cleaning every single day. Uh, I only have six six snakes. days a week for me. Yep. Yeah, I only have six snakes at this point. I'm cleaning every single day. Um, you know, if it's one snake, I feed. Two days later, they are at least peeing. Uh, so I'm cleaning then. Uh, I replace the water every time I clean, uh, two days later, three days later, they're going to poo again. Um, and then you're like, good, that's, that's their meal, right? Well, no, in between the two, three week feeding period, depending on where I'm at in the year, they're going to pee two or three more times. So I am 
constantly cleaning pee. That is the number one reason why I keep on paper. Uh, yep. Just if I were to let that go a couple more days, even the the smell alone, the the amount of moisture they're sitting on, the the bacteria that could be building up, the list goes on in my mind of why I'd rather just keep on paper and clean every couple days, go through that, just because these animals do not stop. There's always a mess. It's not a ball python or a blood python where you're cleaning up every once in a while or spot cleaning. Yeah. It's not that simple. It, and They're I've dropping kept a massive spe- amount. Yeah, no, 100%. And I've kept other species of snakes too, and there's something about the smell of retic pee that is just very... delicious no uh it, it's it's there's just a unique odor to it versus other snake pee that i've had and maybe maybe it's not so much the the different odor but maybe it's just the volume and the amount that makes it stronger but it's different um and yeah so so just be prepared to clean often that's something that you need to be aware of and one thing that also, I think it's important to keep aware of like, you know, when you keep a ball python, right? We were just talking about, or you keep a corn snake, you can go on like a, a four day vacation, five day vacation. Your snake for the most part is going to be perfectly fine. I have been on a four or five day vacation and come back to a snake that tipped its water bowl and developed the early starting signs of an RI. Because of the built-up humidity, the heat, tipping it literally the day that I left. So I would highly recommend that you have a buddy or someone that can check up on the snakes in case they need to. I understand that that's a luxury for some people. They don't have people to do that. Um, But at the very least, at least have a camera, if you can, of some type. I keep like a little wise camera um, Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, a, a, a Eufy camera just watching them. So that while I'm on vacation, I can also stress a lot. <laughs> um, uh, That's but, about yeah, all but... I can do. I mean, you, you, finding someone that is going to be able to do any kind of maintenance for you while you're out of town with these animals is going to be near impossible unless you know someone who is already keeping some form of large constrictor. Yeah, maybe you can find someone who keeps other snakes and they can help with hatchlings and yearlings Mm and smaller animals to check on them. That's that's a walk in the park. But yeah, no, I would not, like, right now I have this cool dude who's coming over to my house on Sunday, Mondays, and Tuesday nights helping with cleaning the entire collection and feeding and stuff. He's going into high school, um, and he's amazing, but I still wouldn't have him come over and be like, hey, so uh, my, my... Wild-caught Kalatoa just spilled her water. I need you to take her out <laughs> and yeah. replace it. No, I would never do that. But, um, yeah, just that's something to keep in mind. I mean, you know, they these, these snakes are, man, these snakes are phenomenal to keep. They're so rewarding unlike any other animal, but I will say they're a little bit more stressful to keep. Just like anxiety-provoking of, like, if you want to leave town or um, – you know, retics have this tendency that not a lot of other species do to push if things aren't going well. Even if things are going great. Um, (laughs) you know, I've been, I've been sitting in this room now for, for an hour or so talking with you and 
you know, just me being in the room, every snake is cruising their enclosure. Uh, now, that's not a problem. Most of them are just cruising because they know some activities going on. But the hatchlings, the hatchlings, they think when you're in the room, especially for an extended period of time, that it's feeding time. Now, feeding time is two days away, but because of their attitude tonight and them thinking that it's feeding time, I'm most likely going to have to thaw out some food just to keep them from pushing the next 24 hours. You know, so feeding is as much maintenance as it is as, or sorry, feeding is as much maintenance as cleaning is with these retics. I mean, these animals will almost tell you what they need. If, if you're slacking on them at all, they'll let you know. No, a hundred percent. And the one thing that like, I'll have people message me about like, my retic's behaving this way. My retic's behaving that way. And the number one thing that I like to tell people, even if you have one retic, spend as much time as you can in that room that you have your snake in. Observe your animal. Look at your animal. Be with them as much as you can because they will tell you what it is that they need. I it, It's weird. And maybe a lot of people are going to hear this and be like, ah, eh, that's BS. But I literally can tell the difference between a like husbandry error pushing and a feeding pushing. Like just by the force, the like just their behavior, their erraticness differences. I can tell the difference between the types of pushing that they're doing. Oh, and I can so, tell the difference in cruising. I have yep. my adult albino. She's cruising the cage really slowly, really just checking everything out. She just, you know, she probably wants to come out and explore. I have another snake who just shed out, and now he's just chilling on his perch, looking out the window, seeing what's going on. Another, The other two snakes that are cruising insistently, they are right up against the glass. They're cruising back and forth and back and forth. That tells me, all right, if I don't thaw out some Time food... Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just in for more of that. So, and that's the beautiful you, thing about keeping these animals is that they talk yeah. to you, and it's actually once you spend time with them, they're so rewarding to keep because they teach you about them and you learn about each of their individual personality. And so, um, just yeah, I mean, if you want to get a pet retake, and if you want to, I mean, if you want to, if you want a, a snake that like is. I don't know, man. I just, I, I think that they are such an awesome, animal. it's like once you're into them, it's like this unconditional love that you can give to them. Um, if you just spend time with them. Um, I know, I know we've talked about a lot of differences in a light that shares, um, some of the complications and things that you should be made aware of. But going back to the very first question that you asked me, Nathan, like, should most people keep retics? And I think the reason why a lot of this information is more of like what they do differently that's difficult and an obstacle to get over is because most people shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that you can't. I do think that people are very, very much capable of, but you just got to be willing to go all out for the animal because that animal is going to give you back what you give it. You know, this this relates a lot to what I try to tell my students um, in, in 
the barber school. So the barbering industry and the hair industry in general is a high, super high turnover industry. Most people don't last a couple years before trying to find a new field. Um, and I think I would tell someone who wants to get a retic the same thing I would tell a student who wants to be a great barber. Um, if you're not willing to completely obsess over it and practice it constantly, you will never be great. Yeah. So it's 100%. not for the it's not for the it's not for the person who wants to have a snake in their living room and interact with it once in a while. It's not for the person who who just wants to look cool and have a big snake and you know show that show their friends feeding it a, a live rabbit every once in a while it's it's not for you no don't do it it's it's not for the person who thinks oh i'm gonna become one with the snake and live with my animals <laughs> not for you we have one of those here in utah so Let's get them on the show know, <laughs> please no um yeah i mean it's it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for someone who's going to be scared of an animal who's occasionally, when you open its enclosure, going to come with its mouth wide open right at you. Those are just if that's kisses. a problem... No, I know, but if, if <laughs> that's a problem, this animal's not right for you. But, I mean, it's something that is for the person who's obsessed with these animals and is in love with these animals is something that is very easily manageable yeah over time and with some experience yeah absolutely like i i cannot stress like i i do believe okay so my answer earlier was not everyone should keep retakes very 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 few people should keep retakes but i do think most people are very capable of keeping retakes you just need to be willing to grow with it and not just give up on it and let it just sit there. Um, yeah. Cause these stinks, like I said, whatever you put in is what you're going to get from them. And um, if you do not give them your attention, love and need. And when I say love, I, I mean, yes, I talk to my snakes. Uh, I get that little cute pet voice. That's cause I love them. Um, not everyone has to do that. I'm not saying that you need to like love your snake like you love your dog, but you need to love the grind of keeping your snake. You need to love the bad days, the good days, the pooping, the peeing. Um, you need to just give them the passion that you have for them. And if you decide after all this that like you're up for the challenge of keeping a retake because it is a challenge, um, but it's such a rewarding challenge, then yeah, I mean, it, it's an amazing experience if you're willing to commit to that animal i mean like what are some of the things nathan that you i mean we've talked about that but something maybe we haven't mentioned what do you love about keeping them i think it just mostly circles back to their inquisitiveness and just you know the level of thinking that you experience within this snake versus other snakes I've interacted with. You know, my my experience is 
pretty limited. Uh, the bulk of my time has been spent with, you know, ball pythons, uh, some Burmese pythons, uh, you know, a handful of other colubrids and boas over the years. But, you know, it's it's just how they think, how they act. You can just see it. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to explain, but once you get hands-on with any reticulated python, you can just see them processing in a way that you've never experienced with another animal. And, yeah, I mean, I think one thing that really draws them to me aside their inquisitiveness is, like, their sheer strength. Um, my first example of, like, really seeing their strength is... So I did something I don't recommend. I kept retakes for two years and then thought it would be cool to get a wild-caught pair of Kalatoas, which are a small locality. But my female was still nine feet. My male was seven feet. But these were mature, over 10-year-old animals that were fed well when they were imported. Um, and, man, I, I kept I had like a five-foot Kaiwadi and a five and a half, six foot mainland orange glow. And then I got to actually like hold this large constrictor um, after a long drive of picking it up. And I was like, oh, this snake is going to go somewhere. And I really don't have a choice. <laughs> and we're talking about a nine foot animal. These get much bigger. I'm now managing a 14 foot animal. Um, so these snakes are strong. I mean, I remember another, I, I had a, a five foot Ternate Island female I was holding for 10 minutes and all of a sudden she decided she was hungry and she decided to wrap my hand like a feed response and she put her mouth right on the top of my hand and I was looking at her and I was like, you, you, you better, better not bite me. And I'm sitting there nervous and um, she didn't bite me, thankfully, but she had my hand wrapped and she was a small snake at the time. And I was like, holy, that, that was in my mind when I was like, all right, I'm going to consciously make an effort to not let these snakes around my neck ever. Because that, that experience of my hand turning purple in two minutes, I was like, okay. And they earned my respect instantly. And that's when I was like. Yeah, it doesn't matter what size these animals are, respect them. And yeah, that's what I my, love about them. In my, let's see, six years of keeping these animals now, I've only had that experience happen maybe a handful of times, two or three mm -hmm. times. But it can go straight from everything's cool to, hey, I'm hungry now. <laughs> And I don't know what triggered it over those the the years, but it'll it'll make you think. Okay, I have to really like. Yeah. No matter respect. what I think is going good, I have to make sure that I always have control of the situation or can manage as, the situation. As the young kids say, when you're handling retakes, always stay woke. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, always be oh just just. Always be present. Don't ever get, um, don't ever be forgiving and, and lazy and non-observant and just 
stay woke, my friends. <laughs> Nathan, do you have anything else that you think is good for people t- to know when considering buying a retic? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing, do your research. N- know where these animals come from. Know what environment they live in. Know who you're That's talking Indonesia, to. Indonesia, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Know who you are talking to. Um, make sure you're getting good information. Make sure you're buying from reputable people. Um, there are so many um, outlets in this industry and people that are willing to guide you in the right direction now. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's the biggest thing is just do as much research as you can. Make sure the animal that you expect to get is the animal that you end up buying. Um, especially when we talk about dwarf crosses, you need to make sure that, you know, if you only want to manage a 10 foot and under reticulated python, that that's what you get and that you're buying from someone who's going to be able to show you verifiable bloodlines in that animal yeah. and making sure that you're just, you know, cross your T's, yeah. dot your I's, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do your research. Um, a lot of people say, get a mentor, try to find someone who has them in your area that you can work with them. And I recommend that hundred percent. That's, I, I didn't have that luxury to do that. That's where it started uh, also, for me. I also bought a baby. I also bought a baby and I grew with it. Um, and yeah, that's I still think, yeah, I, 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 I still recommend people, if you can, interact with them first. Like, after holding a 10-foot retic and wrestling it to cooperate, you might decide it's not for you. I didn't get that luxury. I didn't get to tell that. Um, I still think it's for me, but if I could go back and do things differently in terms of, like, the decision, I still think I made the right decision. But, yeah, I think it would have been awesome to get that experience uh, beforehand. But, but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Just do your research, watch videos like this, watch other videos, read about them and ask people who keep and breed them and find, go ask your local community. Ask, I mean, in any local community, there's bound to be someone working with some form, some locality of retic out there. So, you know, reach out, reach out to people and most of the time in this industry, people are pretty giving and yeah. will allow you to experience this animal if it's something you're really interested in. If you're nervous about being annoying, annoying people and asking too many questions and, and oh, I'm asking basic stuff. This person doesn't have to. I mean, um, you know, I, I won't speak for Nathan, I'll, although I'm sure he feels the same way I do. Message one of I, us. Yeah, I do. Well, oh, I, I thought you were going to say we were the annoying people at one point. No, no, we totally you know? were. I, I actually, I still am. You can ask people like yeah, Garrett, Aubrey, Eric, um, <laughs> ask them all. Um, you know, you never stop learning with these animals. But um, yeah, reach out to us, it, you know, reach out to beginners, reach out to people who've been doing this for, uh, you know, a shorter time that can give you more time. Um, and, and more answers and, and openly communicate. I mean, that's what this this community and this podcast is all about, is giving you guys the opportunity to reach out, talk to us, and us create a community of new keepers and breeders to talk about the ins and outs of, of keeping retics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't all think right. there's a better place to wrap up, my man. So, 
Yeah, absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for listening to uh, tonight's episode. I hope that you guys got a lot of information. You know, I, I want to hear from you guys in the comments below. What was it like for you keeping your first retake? What did we miss that you guys also want to provide to our listeners? Comment that down below. Um, anything that we hit that you agree, disagree, um, let's interact. Let's talk about this in the comments. Um, subscribe, like, help our community grow so that we can help grow the industry and new keepers, new breeders to um, do right for these animals and just have a place of positivity to to grow as a community. Nathan, man, great talking to you always. I really appreciate these episodes and again to just talk about these animals that we love. Guys, once again, thanks for listening and um, tune in next Friday to our very next episode of the Retic Lounge. 